So we return to Mary now, standing outside of the tomb, weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. In the screen adaption of Maurice's Syndac's classic children's book, Where the Wild Things Are, 2009, we follow the adventures of Max, who is in an imaginative child who feels neglected by his mother and his older sister. He escapes into a fantastical world of hairy, monstrous creatures. Once these wild things threaten to devour him, Max pretends to possess magical powers and manages to convince the monsters to make him their king. The creatures had come to believe that Max had been sent to abolish suffering in their world and to establish permanent peace and happiness. And so they ask him, will you keep out all of the sadness? Will you keep out all of the sadness? Still play acting his role as king and miracle worker, Max declares, I have a sadness shield that keeps out all of the sadness and it's big enough for all of us. If I asked you if you wanted such a shield to keep out all the sadness, I'm sure every hand in here would go up. How do we cope with grief? How do we cope with sadness? How do we cope with despair? How do we cope with hopelessness? Is there something that can keep out or end or abolish all the suffering, sadness, and pain in this world? Well, we just sang about it, didn't we? Today's passage is going to direct us not to something, but someone. Today's passage reveals how the resurrection of Jesus Christ deals with one of our deepest experienced emotions in life, sadness and grief. There are three keys that we are going to be looking at today. The first one 
is our lives are filled with grief. It's kind of a matter-of-fact statement, but something that we need to talk about as we look at this passage. So verses 11 through 13. Again, Mary is standing outside the tomb and weeping. And we see how often this word weeping or wept or crying comes up. And as she weeps or as she wept, she stood outside and looked in the tomb, saw two angels in white, one sitting at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they say to her, woman, why are you weeping? She explains to them, because they have taken away my Lord, I do not know where they have laid them. So we revisit with Mary. She comes back and we know that it was extremely important that Mary being a woman has a lot to do with Jesus elevating the status of women in that culture uh, during that time. Also, I mentioned that she was a prostitute. Take that lightly. We're not quite sure if she was the woman that was caught in adultery, but we know that Mary followed Jesus very, very closely. She was one of his biggest supporters, and here she is at the tomb, and she is grieving not only over the loss of Jesus, but now the loss of his body. So her grief is now compounded with everything that is going on. This is a wailing, this is a uncontrollable crying, and I'm sure some of us have experienced similar grief, haven't we? In Wendell Berry's novel, Hannah Coulter, the main character, Hannah, is grieving the death of her first husband, who died in World War II. And she offers the following reflection on grief and how we often deal with it. She says, I don't think grief is something that we get over or get away from. Listen to this. It is around us. It is in us all the time. And we know it. We know that every night there are people lying awake grieving. We know that every morning there are people who are waking up to absences that will never be filled. But we shut our mouth and we go on and we move ahead. How are we is the question. How are we? Well, we're fine. We're fine. There are those who... A few who will recite their complaints, but the proper answer to how are you is, I'm fine. I'm just fine. You're fine. The most dreaded thing has happened at last. The thing that you did not expect has happened and you didn't expect it to happen. You have grown old and ill. Most of those who you have loved are dead or gone away. How are you? You're fine. We're fine. We're not fine, are we, folks? And to say otherwise is to ignore the problem. We are far from fine. Our lives are filled with grief, and it is most acutely felt at the place where Mary is, at the grave, at the tombs of those that have gone before us that we love. We're not fine. Mary is weeping, wailing almost uncontrollably. 
As I said, she's weeping and grieving over the death of Jesus. She's lost her best friend. She's lost her teacher. She's lost the one that the, the hope of Israel was found in for these individuals. She's lost hope. And now the body is no longer there and her grief is only compounded. What is happening to Mary is a reflection of the human condition. Life is full of suffering. Life is full of pain. Life is full of loss and the grave is the end result, isn't it? Are we fine? Far from fine. And many of our tears are shed right there in that place. One of the earliest record of tears is found on Canaanite clay tablets dating from the 14th century BC. It's on a fragment that tells the story of the goddess Anat, the sister of Baal, and she hears the news of her brother's death and quite naturally she weeps at this news. The accepted scholarly translation is that she continued to sate herself with her weeping, to drink her tears like wine. So the earliest mention of tears in history suggests that they are induced by grief. They offer a satiation and they are a form of intoxication. We know that the psalmist at one point says his tears have become his food. Day and night, weeping, asking God, where are you in all of this? Where are you in my suffering? Where are you in my pain? It says that women will cry over 4,680 times. I would like to dispute that number. I think it's going to be much, much more than that. And then it says men are going to cry half as much. I would like to dispute that number as too. I think I've already beaten that number. And there is a, a variety of grief, isn't there? It's not just a loss of loved ones that we grieve. It can be the loss of abilities as we get older, as some of us know. Our bodies are dying. Our bodies are leaving us. We grieve the loss of, you know, we used to be able to play sports. We used to be able to do certain things, but we can no longer do those things. We can grieve the loss of a job. We can grieve the loss of a relationship, a friendship, a church family. But all of it points to the fact that something is wrong, isn't there? The problem with the world is we're not fine. The problem with the world is that sin has entered into the world, and because of sin, suffering, pain, grief, and death, we're not fine. We're all here today because we're not fine. And we're looking for answers to how to cope with what we experience in our life. What do we do with all of that emotion? What do we do when we, we get to the point of despair and hopelessness? What do we do when we lose our loved ones? The history of the world is filled with tears. Pages of the Bible are filled with tears. Our lives are filled with tears. Many of you tonight, I know for a fact, will cry, cry yourselves to sleep. The recent floods and fires have caused more weeping and wailing in this world, haven't it? 
Maya Angelou says this about death. It's interesting. Notice her response. I can accept the idea of my own demise, but I I am unable to accept the death of anyone else. I find it impossible to let a friend or relative go into the country of no return. Disbelief becomes my close companion. Disbelief. Hopelessness. Anger follows in its wake. I answer the heroic question, death, where is thy sting? With it is here in my heart and in my memories. Not fine. And what happens is exactly what she says. Hopelessness. Disbelief. All of these things, pain, suffering, and death, causes those bottles in heaven to be filled to the brim. Even after seeing the angels, Mary is still weeping. It's not enough. It's not enough. But disbelief is where we need to be very, very careful, folks. Because it is faith that is going to help us cope with our grief. It is faith that sees the risen Christ through our tears. Exactly what Mary does here. Verses 14 through 16. So when she had said this, She turns around and she saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. You ever think about why people see ghosts? Probably not a topic you'd think we'd be talking about in church, but there's actually been research done on it. Now, why people believe that they see spirits of their departed loved ones. It suggests that the brain may summon these spirits as a means of coping with trauma, especially the pain of losing a loved one. Just as most amputees report what is known as the phantom limb, that feeling that their detached appendage is still there, surviving spouses frequently report seeing or sensing their departed partner. One 1971 survey in British Medical Journal found that close to half the widows in Wales and England had seen their partners post-mortem, which psychologists call after-death communication. It affects skeptics and believers alike. Experts think that such specters help us deal with painful or confusing events. 2011 analysis published in the Journal of Death Studies looked at hundreds of incidents of these supposed interactions, and the paper concluded that these occurrences 
provided instantaneous relief from painful grief symptoms. How many people want instantaneous relief right now from their painful grieving symptoms? You don't have to raise your hand. Mary gets that here, and guess what? She doesn't see a ghost. She doesn't see a specter. She sees the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And that provides for her instantaneous relief from her grieving symptoms, and that can do the same for you. He is alive. He's alive. And because he lives, you will live too. And because he lives, those that have gone before us who believed in the Lord, guess what? You're going to see them as well. They're alive just because he's alive. And you and I are going to live with them one day. How do we cope? We see Christ through the eyes of faith. And if we see Christ through the eyes of faith here on earth, you and I are going to see him face to face one day in heaven. That's how we deal with our grief. It's not an apparition that she sees. It's not that we have for the grave. Your life may be filled with pain and tears and suffering now, but one day when you see him like Mary did, you will cry no more. He is standing with you in your pain and suffering, and you will be able to continue on, not in despair, but in hope, knowing that one day all of this will be gone because Jesus overcame sin and death. It's unclear as to why she doesn't see him at first. But it does prove to be some relevance for us, I think. Some commentators think that she was, it was, Jesus was veiled from her, which had happened later on in road to Emmaus and then also with the disciples. So that is a distinct possibility. But some people say that she was so overwhelmed and blinded by her tears that she just couldn't make out who Jesus was. Folks, that's what can happen to us, can it? Grief and pain and sorrow and suffering can just overwhelm us. And we can be blinded by our tears, by our suffering, in seeing the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. Don't let that happen to you. Because answering the question of the who helps the question of the why, doesn't it? Who are you looking for? Why are you crying, Mary? It's me. If you're looking for me, guess what? I'm right here. I'm standing right in front of you, and I'm alive. You can wipe away all of those tears. Why are you weeping? It's going to be okay. Often, I think we think of Jesus as the gardener. We see him as a human being who only cares for the graves of the dead instead of the one who raises them. We see him as someone who is limited to the tools of this world, not the power of God. We see him as an ordinary man who is still subjected to the human weaknesses and therefore he can't help us with ours. Josh McDowell says this, 
No matter how devastating our struggles, our disappointments and troubles are, they are only temporary. No matter what happens to you, no matter the depth of your tragedy or the pain you face, no matter how death may stalk you or your loved one, the resurrection promises you a future of immeasurable good. Do you believe that? I want you to think of that pain right now, whatever it may be in your life that causes you to break down in tears and cry. And I want you to ask yourself, is that anything that the risen Christ in all of his power has not, will not, or cannot take care of? Is it? No, it's not, is it? It's that resurrection power that lives inside each and every one of us. That power Is there anything that you are going through right now that Jesus Christ does not remain with you through it and can't help you get through through it all the way? Is there anything? That's how we need to see Jesus Christ. Is there anything beyond his power to heal or remedy or one day completely transform? See the risen Lord. Hear him call your name. Know that he is with you. And one day know that one day you'll be with him. He addresses you personally just like he addressed Mary. He speaks to you in the midst of your pain. Mark, Brian, Susan, Robin, Michael, I'm alive. It's going to be okay. I'm alive. It's going to be okay. That power lives within us, and though we may suffer, though we may grieve, though we may feel pain, we know that our suffering and our sorrow is not in vain, is it? We're not being destroyed. All the suffering and the pain that we go through now just adds to the way to glory later on. That's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Mary, it's okay, I'm here. I'm alive. Jesus' resurrection is good news for our grief, isn't it? That's the hope that you and I have. How do we deal with the grief and sadness in our life? It's right here. Josh McDowell says this, I mean, J.I. Packer says this, Optimism is wish without warrant. Christian hope is a certainty. Guaranteed by God himself. Optimism reflects ignorance as to whether things, good things will actually come. Christian hope expresses the knowledge that every day of your life and every moment beyond it, the believer can say with truth, on the basis of God's own commitment, the best is yet to come. Amen? 
The resurrection means that his sacrifice for sin, that which causes all of our pain and suffering, was accepted. Therefore, you and I who believe will one day have an end to all of that pain and suffering. It means an end to our tears. It means that we have a hope here on earth as we suffer, as we are being conformed to his image, and one day we'll be made like him when we see him face to face. His resurrection is the power to overcome our grief. His resurrection is good news for all of our bad news. And his resurrection gives us a hope for us as individuals. But it also gives us a hope to share as well. Sorry, that was that J.I. Packer quote. Brings us to our third point. We must cry out the good news to others. If we need something to cry out, here you go. Cry out, he's alive. Listen to what Jesus says to her. So Jesus says to her, verse 17, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Mary came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. Can you blame Mary? <laughs> She's like, all right, I'm not letting you go at this point. You know, I already lost you once. And I, a lot of people, com- you know, commentators disagree on exactly what Jesus is saying. It almost sounds kind of rough. You're like, well, Jesus, I mean, you know, Mary, she loves you. She's all upset. But I think, I really like what D.A. Carson says, because I think it captures the emotion of the passage. And you're not supposed to really always interpret things emotionally, but there is emotion in the passage, right? Mary starts out crying, weeping, wailing, thinking Jesus isn't there. Now, all of a sudden, she thinks it's a gardener, Jesus says her name, and she's like, I am never letting you go. I am going to keep you all to myself. I think that's the reaction that we will all have when we see Jesus and when we see those we love, huh? Never going to let you go. And guess what? You're right. Because the next time we see him, you won't ever let him go. But it's interesting here that it could be paraphrased, and I like the way, like I said, D.A. Carson says this. Can be paraphrased this way. Stop touching or holding on to me, for as I have not yet gone into the ascended state, so don't worry as if I'm going to disappear permanently. That, that kind of makes sense, right? Mary's like, all right, I'm not leaving because I don't want you to go anywhere. But Jesus is kind of reminding her that he's in the process of ascending. He's going to appear a few more times to them. Now's not the time, but it is the time, as D.A. Carson says, for joy and for sharing the good news, not for clutching on to me as if I were some jealously guarded private dream come true. Go and tell them you saw me and these things. That kind of makes sense to me. But we can learn from that because we're all excited, right? We love Jesus, but I'm going to just keep them all to myself. Here I am, I'm going to hold on to Jesus. I'm not going to go out and share that news because Jesus is all mine. I'm fine, I'm happy, 
My grief is resolved. I have hope. I don't care about these folks. Don't hold on to Jesus all for yourself, folks. We have hope. We have the good news. We have an answer to all the suffering and pain and sorrow that this world has experienced. Go and share that. We have to. That's what he's saying. Hey, it's okay. Matter of fact, his ascension into heaven allows him to permanently dwell inside of our hearts. It's a good thing that he's going to go. Don't hog Jesus Christ all to yourself. That is not what Christianity... This is, this is the, the crux of Christianity, the death, burial, and resurrection, and part of it is what? Going out and proclamation. It's sharing the good news. Maybe we would rather share the new episode that's on our new binge TV thing that we're watching, right? Maybe we'd share that good news. Hey, did you see this one? This was great. You've got to watch it. Maybe we'd rather watch The Chosen instead of being The Chosen. And maybe we'd rather watch The Resurrection instead of telling people about it. I'm going to settle down now for a second. <laughs> we have the answer. Don't we? We have it. He's the answer. He's alive. Guess what? Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. And proclaiming the news is being conformed to the image of Christ. He had a message. And we have a message, folks. It's a message of hope. Here's some stats. Kind of sad. Whenever statistics come up, they're always kind of sad. I just want to see statistics one day that are like, great. You're like, hey, here's the stats of the church evangelism. Everything's going great. We've been witnessing to everyone. We, we talk, we meet on the street. That's not happening. This is sad, isn't it? It's more than 50% have talked to nobody in half a year. Maybe we're dead. I don't understand that. And as I, I begin to look and go into the book of Acts, I'm getting convicted every time I open that book up. These guys, they were talking all the time. They couldn't contain their excitement that Jesus Christ is alive. They couldn't hold it in. Maybe we're just too distracted with the things of this world. It's a command. It's a command. He tells her, stop doing this. Go and do this. And we're going to talk about it even more next week. So I'll give you a heads up. In case you want to miss church again, if you want to be feeling guilty, just don't come. Catch it online. We're talking about it more next week. Goes right into it. What our mission is. But do we, maybe, do we, do we, and I got to ask myself this question. Do, am I not that, close to Christ where I'm not that excited about this anymore? Where I'm not breaking down people's doors? Where I'm not running to people on the street? It, has it not affected me the way that it's affecting Mary? 
Am I not allowing the power of his resurrection to pour out, to live, go through in my life right now? Am I believing that my pain and my suffering are going to continue? Have I lost hope? Am I in despair? Is that why I'm not sharing? I don't know. Now, you don't want to say it verbatim like she said it. I've seen the Lord. People might think you're nuts. But you want to say that I see him by faith. And you want to say that people like Mary did see the risen Lord. You want to say that Jesus Christ is, our, is the answer to suffering, pain, and grief. You want to say, hey, do you know that Jesus Christ is alive right now? It's funny, I remember the story Sarah would tell me of her mom. But I think it was preschool or kindergarten. I don't remember when it was, or Lena. And, and they were, they were, it was Easter. And they were talking about, what, what do we tell the kids about Jesus? Where do we say he is now? And Arlena just pops out like true Arlena. You say that he's seated at the right hand of God interceding for the saints. That's where you tell him where he is. That's where Jesus is, right? Where's Jesus? He's seated at the right hand of God interceding for you and me so that you and I can go out and share that message of hope with this world. That's what we would tell him. We tell him he's alive. And because he's alive, you and I, can, you and I are going to be alive too. The guy tells a story about the Easter pageant. He said, I sat behind a five-year-old boy who was enthralled with the whole pageant. Gets to the point of the crucifixion. What happens to the boy? It's real quiet and sad, doesn't he? But then Jesus comes back from the grave. There was a song of celebration. His eyes lit up. He looked at his mother and he said, Mom, he's alive, Mom. He's alive. And he began to clap. And then he hung, hugged her around the neck. I want you to turn to the person next to you. If you know their name, I want you to say their name and say, He's alive. He's alive. Now I want you to say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We know someone who came to abolish all the sadness, suffering, and pain. His name is Jesus Christ. And the shield of faith is what's going to help us cope. And his shield is big enough for every last one of us. Father, thank you for the truth that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, you know all the pain and suffering that people are going through right now. Only you know how deep it goes, how much it hurts. I pray that you minister to their hearts. I pray that we all hear our names being called by our Lord and Savior, reminding us He's with us through our pain and through our suffering, reminding us that one day we will be with Him when you put an end to all of it. We praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.